Well, it's really good to be here at the bridge again and just sharing some ministry. Um, a few months ago, I was talking to Richard and he... Um, do you know what I mean when I say Richard? No. Uh, no, no. I, <laughs> uh, I was talking to Richard and we were talking about uh, lessons that we learn in life. And um, so we talked about possibly doing a few sessions whereby we can talk about some of the lessons I've learned over kind of 60 years of being a Christian. You're supposed to say, you don't even look 40, never mind. Uh, so, or 40, 45 years of being in some kind of church leadership and ministry. So in August, I shared the first four. And I know you finished the series, but uh, Rich is very kind of let me carry on with some of these lessons learned. So today I'm going to do another four. But just in case you weren't here in August, then you can uh, see the, um, what do you call it on YouTube? Is it a video or whatever? Anyway, the, a cassette. Uh, I'm not quite sure what they call it these days. But on YouTube, you can see uh, the four of you. If you find it helpful today and you think, oh, just look what they're like. Well, you see them sometime in August. We, I don't bring a particular scripture because I'm going to be dipping into lots of illustrations from the Bible um, because of and personal illustrations, basically because we're talking about lots of different lessons. But we did hang what we said on three scriptures, which I think will come on the board. The first one was where it says in Philippians 1.6 that he who's began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. In other words, sometimes, you know, we feel like we're going around in circles or we're not making progress. But the Bible does say he that began will, will carry on. Uh, the good work in you. So part of the lessons I'm talking about are, are all revolving around the progress that we're trying to make in our Christian life. The second scripture we hung it on was very important one here, 1 Timothy 4.16, where it says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. You know, I know many people believe that um, what we believe will affect how we behave, but I, would, I believe it the other way around. More how we behave will actually prove what we believe. Because it's easy to talk and say things, but not necessarily carry them out in our behaviour. And then the third scripture was this. that We're not on our own in, in this, because the Bible says in 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So to live a godly life and to, to, to do the things the previous scriptures said, we're not on our own because his divine power has enabled us to do this. So we looked at four lessons last time. Now you, some of you might remember them, some maybe not, but the first was don't just settle for the comfortable. The second was don't just endure the journey, enjoy the journey. The third was don't entertain the little foxes and the dead flies. And the fourth one was don't entertain a plan B. So I'm going to say now number five, but actually it's number one today. So when I say six, it's two. When I say seven, it's three. I'm sure you'll stick with that if you, if you did maths at school when you went there. So first, this, number five is don't neglect your God dependency. Don't de neglect your God dependency. Remember that what we are and what, what we've achieved in our Christian lives is only because we are dependent upon God for this. Now the problem is many times in the Bible you see characters who, who actually did well but then forgot that they were dependent on God. They forgot their God dependency. A typical example that I'm going to use is that of Samson. Uh, and if you're not familiar with the Bible but in the book of Judges, chapter, starting at chapter 13 through to I think it's 16 or 17, you will see the life of Samson whereby it did say at the beginning of his ministry uh, the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he did this five times it says the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he did this and he did that and he won victories over the Philistines for the Israelites 
But then he comes to this particular part in his life where he meets this lady called Delilah and they start to play this kind of crazy cat and mouse game to find out the secret of his strength because she's paid by the Philistines to find the secret of his strength so that they can then bind him, take him. And so they do this, she tells, he tells her all kinds of crazy things and none of them work. But eventually, uh, if you read the words in the Bible, it says he was tired to death with her nagging. That's what he said. I'm not saying that. The Bible says that. Okay. So she was tired, she was tired to, he was tired to death with her nagging. So in the end, he said, it's my hair. If you cut my hair, I'm a Nazarite. I'm not supposed to cut my hair. That's the secret of my strength. And so she, he falls asleep on her lap and then, wait, um, then she tied, do what, do, what, does whatever they say. And then she says, Samson, the Philistines are on you. And he says this, I will just do what I did before. Now this is where his God dependency has gone, you see. I will just do what I always did, assuming God would show up in the situation. And then he probably got the most frightening verse in the Bible, for me anyway. He says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. He did not know that the Lord had left him. So here we've got this guy now in a predicament whereby his eyes have been, has been gouged out by the Philistines and he's walking in circles, grinding corn. And he must be thinking to himself, how on earth did I get here? From these verses where it used to say, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. Spirit of the Lord, and now he's blind, going in circles, grinding corn. I must be thinking, how on earth did I get here? Well, I'll tell you how he got there. He got there because he forgot his God dependency. That's what happened. One or two things that kind of highlight that, and actually each one of these four things I preach is so I'm going to be tearing through it because I've only got a short bit of time. But the first thing he did, he took some important things for granted. He took his victories for granted. He took his blessing for granted. He took his spirit, the spirit of God for granted. He took his hair for granted. He took his fame and his success for granted, thinking God will always show up. And now he's actually running on fumes. I don't know that you one of these people that, uh, you know, your thing in your car whereby it tells you your petrol's low and a light comes on. Now, I'm one of those that keep it at the other end. I don't like it to get anywhere near there. But some people, you know, they, they kind of have a race with a... With a light, don't they think, oh, well, I've got another three miles here in the tank, you know. I think I fancy living like that. Because I, I, uh, April had a friend, that I remember we was in Torquay, and there's lots of hills going up and down, and, and um, I, I spotted his light was on, and I said, uh, hey, Ben, I says, your, your, light, your, your fuel light's on. And he said, oh, he says, there's eight miles left in this, it's four miles from the nearest garage, I'm easy. So we get there, and he puts a fiver in. <laughs> One push, and then that's it. <laughs> But, but, it's, but some people, you know, he was now living on the fumes, not on the spirit of the Lord, but just the leftovers, believing God would show up. And then the, the other thing that uh, kind of is, is a symptom of he was losing his God dependency was the expected as a right, that which once was a privilege. Now, this is a real danger for Christians, for myself, for all of us. We expect as a right that which once was a privilege. You see, he said, I will just do what I did before and thought the result would be the same. But, you know, we can do that sometimes, can't we? Um, what once was a privilege, we now think is a right. I don't know that you remember the first time you had your a date. You went out with someone on a date and, um, you know, nothing was too much trouble, was it? So you, you, I'm, I'm talking now in the old days when gentlemen were gentlemen and ladies were ladies, not in today's world, whatever you... You can and can't say and do, but when you know you, you 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 call at the house to knock at the door and pick up your young lady on this date, and you get there, and the mum comes to her and says, "Oh, sorry, she's not ready." 
really, she should be about half an hour. No problem, she'll be half an hour. No problem, I'll sit and wait. So you sit and wait. She comes down, then after about half an hour, says, I'll be another 10 minutes. Yeah, no problem, no problem, no problem. And it's not, not, an, not an issue. Five years later, when you're married, if you're not ready in five minutes, I'm going without you. And I ask, wow, wow, hasn't that changed? Or when he or she cooked the first meal. You've got to say that now as well, haven't you? He or she cooked the first meal and it was a bit burnt. But because you was in such the, the essence of love, you, uh, you, you even interpreted it well. Charcoal's good for your teeth, didn't you? And that's how you, that's how you just think, well, I'll put a positive, positive slant on it. I remember when we first started going out and, and before, do you remember before the days of Chinese takeaways and Indians and Thai and all that lovely curry that you can have these days? There was, there was one that came out in the shops called Vesta Curry. Can you remember them? Oh, they were awful, weren't they? Awful. And, uh, you know, chicken, and they were full of sultanas. And I don't like sultanas in, in food like that. And, and Sue made me a Vesta chicken curry. And, uh, I was a bit like Mr. Bean, you know Mr. Bean, when he, he, if you watched it, where he's got that, um, that kind of burger and he's trying to hide it. And he puts it in the sugar bowl, he doesn't like it. He's, he, take steak tartare, is it called, and he, he's putting it in the sugar bowl and putting it in a woman's handbag uh, to try and hide it. Well, I was like, that was his sultanas, trying to hide the sultanas. But at the end, you know, oh, it was a lovely meal. Uh, and then, but the trouble is now she thinks you like Vesta curries. Uh, so, so every time you go, you know, oh, it's Vesta curry again. So, but, it, because you, but, but what once was a, a, a privilege, now you expect or seem to think should be Right. You know, I can remember, that, a personal illustration, I can remember many years ago, I was invited to, um, when early days when I was leading this church, I went I was invited to Australia to a, a conference, um, it was called Edge Conference, and they, people said, you know, the, uh, the, the hospitality is incredible, they really look after you and everything, you're treated like a, a, like a star, like a, a celebrity. And so we, I think, well, it sounds a bit over the top, but we get there, and interesting enough, you, as you got there, they rolled out a red carpet for you to walk into the building. And so, oh, that's amazing. You know, initially you're thinking that's a bit over the top, and then when you're walking on it, you think, oh, this is very nice, you know. And they didn't do this for me when I was a pastor at the Bridge Bolton. Nobody wrote, put a red carpet on you. But, so, so you're thinking, ah, now maybe do I deserve this? And then well, you go inside and say, now this person is your chauffeur, and they will take you from the hotel to the conference. Every day they'll pick you up in your own car. And then I think, wow, that's quite good, isn't it? I never had a chauffeur at Bolton, you know, when I was there. I mean, Richard picked me up a few times. You know who Richard is, don't you? Cookie. There's Right, so I just wanted to make sure you didn't think of somebody else. And then, so then they said, this person is your server and they'll take you to your table and you get your meals and, uh, and then whatever you want, they will get for you. And you think, wow, this is, this is good. I've got, within the day, I've got a red carpet, I've got a chauffeur and I've got um, a server. And uh, then you begin to think, hmm, maybe I deserve it. I've never had this before. And, so, uh, and then you get used to the idea and think, well, when I get home, I might drop some hints at the bridge and say, you know, uh, is there a chauffeur going and something like that. And then, but then, you know, before too long, you realise, because you come home and then Sue says, it's your turn to put the rubbish out. You know, and you've gone from the server and the chauffeur and all this, from, uh, from what was a privilege. And then you begin to think it's an expectation. And this was one of the problems that Samson had. The other problem was this. Um, I only spend a moment on it, but it's quite important. Because it says that when he began to gain his strength, because his hair grew again, he asked them to put him between the pillars, two pillars, and he was going to push the pillows and bring the whole thing down. And his comments were this. He said, let me die with the Philistines. So for me, the only problem was he took too long to die. 
You see, if he'd have died to all those passions that, that were wrong within his life and those appetites that were wrong in his life, because if you, if you make the wrong choices with appetites and passions, it can wreck your life. And that's exactly what it did with him. But if he'd have died to those earlier, he wouldn't now be saying, let me die with the Philistines. So the, um, the first lesson today, or number five, should I say, is don't neglect your God dependency. Secondly, um, or number six, don't try and fake it till you make it. Yeah. You see, we can try and fake things, especially being Christians. It's very, very easy in church. Um, authenticity means that we do what we say. Authenticity means the real deal. Authenticity means the secret of being yourself as opposed to being counterfeit. I can remember many years ago, me and Sue went on holiday to Turkey and it was when they started opening up um, package tours. And when we got to Turkey, uh, you know, people said you can buy all these clothes, dead cheap. They've got the, 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 the brand names, but they're dead cheap, you know, three shirts for 40 liras, 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 liras or something like that, whatever it was then, Turkish lira. And um, we get there and the first thing we saw when we went out into the shops was a, a watch shop. Actually, it was called the Jesus Watch Shop. But under a, a big banner underneath it said, genuine fakes. <laughs> genuine fakes. Have you heard anything like that before? And, then, and she, Sue bought, bought me a pen and they said, well, you, you, can have a, you can have a very cheap fake or you can have a middle grade fake or you can have a, an excellent fake. He said, you can have any kind of fake you want, uh, but genuine fakes. And I'm thinking, mm, you know, the danger is in church life, if we don't have the real thing, we then have to pretend and we can have this, we can have this kind of fake attitude that we're covering something that's not really then. Two things that I would just, just mention about the dangers of when we try and fake it till we make it. The first is if you don't have something for yourself, you tend to want to borrow, borrow it, live off somebody else's experience, want to be like other people. And when you say, gee, you know, there's nothing wrong with borrowing because, you know, you might borrow your neighbor's lawnmower, you might borrow cup of sugar. Now, I'm sounding really old now, aren't you, when you borrow a cup of sugar from your neighbour? But, um, but you can borrow lots and lots of things. Jesus borrowed loads of things. He borrowed a womb. He borrowed a tomb. He borrowed a cross. He borrowed a grave. He borrowed loads of things. But he had a real, genuine ministry. And the danger is, sometimes, if we don't, when we want to borrow things, that's why, that's why David looked stupid in Saul's armour. Fake. The church grows, and this is what the Bible says, as each part does its work, it's important. You know you've got a part, you don't have to be somebody else, you don't have to borrow something. I'll give an example, which I've used here before, but let me, please do it, just so that you can, you can understand what I'm coming from here. In 1979, I went to Mattersea Bible College, and um, prior to that, I'd only ever preached once, and it was an absolute disaster. And... Um, when I got to the college, they said, someone's pulled out of preaching at a church on the Sunday. Can you go and preach there? So I'm panicking now, thinking, I've got no idea how you do this. So what I did, coming back to the cassette tapes that I was talking about earlier, I got cassette tapes of people preaching. You know, the ones that you used to snap and you had to wind them with a pencil or stick them with sellotape. So you're always faffing around with them because they're jamming and things like that. But uh, I listened to a tape and then I listened to it again. I thought, oh, that's quite a good preach, that. I might pinch that for Sunday. So I listened to it and listened to it and listened to it and listened to it until I virtually knew it quite well. And um, I preached it on the Sunday and then people said, oh, that was very good. So I began to believe it was very, it, 
It, was, it, wasn't, actually, it wasn't actually me, but it, it was nicked, it was pinched, it was borrowed. But, you know, people say, no, that was good. So then the trouble is, because it went okay, so they asked you to do another one somewhere else. So over the, over the two years, the, the, a rough estimate, two years, I probably preached probably about in diff, 50 different churches, but I only ever preached three sermons, all nicked off tapes. And um, so I'm finishing out Madison. I have, to, I have to go to Burnley to be an assistant pastor in Burnley in 1982 after finishing college. So we go there and the pastor says to me, uh, he says, uh, right, we'll swap about. He says, I'll preach in the morning, you preach at night. Next week, we'll swap it the other way around. You preach in the morning, I'll preach at night. Da, 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 da. And I'm thinking in my head, what happens after these three preaches? What, 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 what do we do then? So the three, three, ta- three weeks come, three weeks go, and I've run out of preaches. So I have to start all over again, listening to cassette tapes, trying to find a preach. And the trouble is, I had to listen to three or four preaches to find a good one before you decided you was going to do it. So you just spend your life, your day off, you're in your car, listening to cassettes. To pre- and I did this for a year. But it was a pretend. It was a fake. It was a. It was. It wasn't me. It was. It was borrowed. It was pinched. It was nicked. It was stolen. But I was pretending it was mine. And I remember just we used to have communion. I know you're having communion today. And we used to have it every Sunday. And you used to read the same passage. And, and it, it's one week. And it was nothing to do with the communion that actually affected me. And Paul was saying, Paul the Apostle was saying in, in this passage, he says, "That which I receive from the Lord, I give to you." And something just struck me and I thought, that is the absolute opposite of what I've been living. This is the absolute opposite because I've been saying, that which I receive from a cassette tape, I give to you. Or in the modern day, that which I receive from the internet, I give to you. That received from a book, I give to you. And I, I realise that real, this is just fake. Trying to fake it till you make it, till you think something will happen and, and it'll all be okay. And uh, I kind of told the guy I worked with, told him what I've been doing. He said, let's, let's move on from there. And uh, I just asked God to help me that every time I speak, that I'm actually saying something that I'm receiving from the Lord to deliver. I trust this morning there were some things I received from the Lord that I deliver to you, just as a, a spokesperson. Uh, kind of thing so just watch that we don't fake it till we make it and if the other thing is if you don't if you do fake it then what you end up doing is just living this life of pretense Jesus actually told the uh, Pharisees off he says you're like children playing in the marketplace games of pretend games of weddings and funerals and you think it's children pretend don't they I mean you you all I imagine used to do something when you were a child where you pretended you pretended to be a doctor and a nurse or you pretended to be a spaceman or a train driver or you pretended to be this that or the other there was nothing wrong with being a game playing games of pretend but if you was doing it now as an adult you think there's something wrong with the person but but that's this is what how he was describing them you're just playing games of pretense and um you know i i, I well we i was in a gang called the black hand gang they were a good, a tough gang. I was, I was 10. I was 10. Black hand gang. And, and we pretended that we were all these kind of characters. But if I was doing it today and say, hey, anyone want to join the black hand gang? We used to believe it. You know, when there's a bar of soap, because before they had shower gel, they had a bar of soap, and it used to be all sloppy. We, we, you put your finger in the slop, and it made you super strong. Now, we believe that at 10. So every day, you go and dip your finger in this stuff. Now, if I, if I was telling you to do that today, you think the guy's crazy. But actually, as a child... You, you believed it because you, you just—it was just a game of pretense. But I was brought up in um, a church of the Nazarene, which is very strict, very strict, um, very legalistic, but very Bible-based. And uh, I, 
my dad took us there, my mum and my dad, and it was, it, my father's died now, but he, um, he left us a few times as children to be with other women. My mum always had him back, and um, eventually he, 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 didn't, he didn't come back. But um, I remember that a number of times when in the church he was very highly recognised, and he did all this kind of stuff. People thought he was wonderful, and there's a sense in where he was a good man. But it, it was also, which I realised now as I look back, living a total pretense because he was doing this stuff that really was contrary to what he should be doing as a Christian. But as a young boy, I thought that's what you did. So I had no problem learning pretense and playing the games in church where this is what you do, this is what the leaders expect, this is, and you could convince people that everything was okay. And I, I used to go, I used to behave, I used to do all the right stuff, and used to come on the Sunday and used to sit there. And, and, but the, the reason I came on Sunday, especially Sunday night, because I've been in the morning until twice in a day was pushing it, Sunday night, people thought he was there because he likes being at church. But no, there was a girl that used to take us from the back of church afterwards and teach us how to kiss. <laughs> that's why I went. Sue said she didn't do a very good job, but, <laughs> but that's, that's, that's to be debated. But that was, that was me. That's what I was. That, oops, sorry, that's what I was. That's what I was. It was like a game of fake. It was like a game of pretense. And I realise how easy it is to dress up death. I worked just temporarily for a funeral director when I was just 17 and started to drive. I used to drive one of the cars behind the hearse and very quickly learnt how easy it was to make a dead body look quite good for visitors to come and look at it, fam families to come and look at it. In Revelation, uh, Christ says to one of the churches, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I don't know how my time's going. I'll, I'll just try and do a couple of quick illustrations. Um, very old illustration, but it always makes me smile. This guy... He was very rich, very wealthy, and he said, when I die, I want to be buried, sat up in my convertible Cadillac. So they decided, well, he's, he's rich, he can do it. So the day he died, uh, they big, dug this big hole, uh, ready for this Cadillac to be dropped into it. And uh, so they, they picked him up in the Cadillac, they put him on the back seat, they put his arm over the side, cigar hanging from his finger, jewels dripping from his hands, uh, top ten-gallon hat on his head, a cravat round his neck, absolutely look the picture of wealth and as they're driving up the road they're waiting at traffic lights to turn right and looking at this picture here there's two boys leaning on rail railings and they look out at this picture of this man looking full of opulence and wealth and prestige and then one boy nudges the other he says man look at that that's really living <laughs> the guy's dead but you can dress up death you can dress up fake you can try and fake it till you make it. But I advise us not to be able to do that. And then uh, number seven. I'll try and be quick as possible with this. Don't write people off. There are no lost causes with God. You might be here today because you weren't written off. <coughs> I am here today because I wasn't written off. A few moments ago I was telling you about preaching <coughs> off the cassettes but prior to that I told you I don't, I'd only preached once before and it was a disaster and when I'd gone to this well, the church I was brought up in where I used to kiss this girl around the back of the church eventually I became the youth leader see how it can change eh? you became the youth leader they had no youth but nevertheless I was became the youth leader and the pastor says to me he said will you preach one Sunday I don't really know how to start with this and eventually I got this picture of a, in the, of the Bible of a 
Belshazzar, where the writing is on the wall, me and Amy, and it tickle you fast. And so I got something to last about 15 minutes, maybe. So I gets up and I got a pastor called Terry Hanford, used to be one of our ministers here. He was my pastor then as a young lad. And um, I, I got up and when I looked at my notes, they went blurred. I looked at the people, I thought they were all scowling at me. I, I forgot everything I was supposed to do. I, I mumbled and jumbled and talked and spluttered and stuttered for a few minutes. And then he came up behind me. And he just put his arm around me and he carried on talking about the writing on the wall. Made an appeal and people get their life to Jesus and I'm thinking, I just want to die. And um, when it was over, you can imagine, I just wanted to never, never to do anything like this again. And he says, Ian, you did really well there. I thought, oh, no, I didn't. Stop fibbing. And I gets down, off the, come down the steps. And guy, one of the guys, he was a really good guy, but one of the leaders in the church. And I forgot to tell you, at this point in time, I was a motor mechanic. I used to fix cars for the GPO. And um, so I fixed vehicles. So when I came down off the, the platform, this guy came up to me and said, Ian, don't give up your day job. <laughs> in other words, stick to fixing cars and forget about preaching. Well, I'm glad I did what my pastor said and tried again. But here's the difference. One guy saw a spark of potential and wasn't willing to write it off. The other was looking for the finished article. Now, I knew that day. I knew because Terry was an incredible preacher. In his highlight, in his heyday, he was an incredible, incredible preacher. And everybody wanted to preach like him. And I knew when I was speaking, these people really saying, what's that kid doing up there? We want to hear Terry. Uh, inside, there would be people who would be thinking that. Well, what, what, what are they doing letting this kid up here? Well, you know, he was right because he didn't write off. He didn't write off the, the bits of potential that might have just been there. You've got to take risks with people. There's a lady called Eileen Gooder says this. If you want safety, then you've chosen the wrong species. If you want safety, you've spoken the wrong, chosen the wrong species. So don't write people off. And then lastly... Number eight or number four today. Don't give up when you feel like you've failed. Don't give up when you feel like you've failed. You see, failure doesn't have to be fatal and failure doesn't have to be final. So I can give you some all secular examples. These aren't biblical ones, but they're fact. I know when I was a motor mechanic, one of the secrets of success of anything was a, a can of something called WD-40. Has anybody heard of that? Yeah. It was magic that, that did anything, this WD-40. And, um, but it's called WD-40. It, it, the WD means water displacement. And 40 is the amount of times that they experimented to get it right. That's interesting. That's why it's called WD-40. But they didn't get it right first time. 40 times. Interesting, isn't it? The Wright brothers, who, 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 who created the plane 100 years ago, you can't believe it, it was only just over 100 years ago. And this is what they say, if you read the biography or the autobiography of them, it says this, we practice failing till we learn to fly. We practice failing till we learn to fly. A man called Jonas Salt created the polio vaccine. <clears throat> Took 200 attempts Someone said, what's it like to fail like 199 times? He said, I didn't fail 199 times. He said, I learned 199 ways not to do it. Yeah. See, failure doesn't have to be fatal or final. Broken isn't useless. In our world, broken is useless. But to God, he uses things that are. He can only use you when you're broken. And in the Bible, it's full of stuff. They had to 
break the alabaster box of ointment. The potter in, the, in is it Jeremiah, I can't remember, the potter, he, he had to undo all the clay because there was a fault in it. David said, a broken heart you will not despise. I'll finish with this. I've got somewhere in the pocket of tenor. And um, you see, that's quite a nice, crisp, clean one. I made it today, this one. So made it today. And uh, what's it worth? Screwed up. What's it worth now? Trodden on. What's it worth now? £10. And it's a bit like that. I used to throw this out for people, but I never got it back, so I'm not going to do that today. You know, I used to say, and, and cast away. Maybe you feel cast away, and I cast it away, and I never saw it again. So I've learnt, learnt my lesson here, because I've been here a long time. But you see, you can feel trodden on, you can feel crushed, you can feel neglected, you can feel rejected. But to God, you are still incredibly, incredibly valuable. And that is why you don't write people off, and that's why um, when we talk about this whole area of feeling like you've failed, then realise you don't have to be fatal or final. So I've done um, five lessons, four lessons today. Don't forget, neglect, sorry, your God dependency. Don't try and fake it till you make it. Don't write off people. And lastly, don't give up when you feel like you've failed. Amen. Thank you for listening. Trust there's something helpful there for you.